Boom, what is happening everybody? My name is Jack Nagel and welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk where on this podcast we talk about all things alcohol and drugs, addiction and addiction recovery. In today's episode uh, we've got Michael O'Donoghue from Journey Apparel uh, which is a mental health apparel brand um, that is that has the aim to raise awareness for uh, positive conversations around mental health. So it was a really good chat um, to speak with Michael about what inspired him setting up that company um, and his own story with mental health and um, yeah, drug and alcohol use and all that type of stuff as well. So um, really, really cool. If you want to check out more about Journey Apparel, um, you can see all the info in the show notes. Um, again, guys, after this podcast, we're going to go back to our old format. The uh, I've tried to clean it up as much as possible in terms of the audio but it's not the best. The, we tried some new Whizbang software and <laughs> uh, just didn't get it working for us. So sorry if it's a, a little bit, sounds like we're in a tin can or something, um, but it's still not a bad not a bad show. I think we've fixed it up okay. Um, uh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Connection Based Living, which is our outpatient, outpatient program in which we show people how to beat addictive patterns without having to go to rehab. So if that sounds of interest to you, um, you can again have a look in the show notes and have a click and get in contact with us and we're happy to help um, so without a further ado let's jump into the show peace <laughs> What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Um, my name is Jack Nagel. Hey, cool show today. We were just chatting off uh, off air before we started recording. So makes it sound like we're in a radio studio, doesn't it? But um, uh, I've been disorganised as anything today and running late. So um, I'm looking forward to sitting down and, and having a chat. Uh, with our guest, who is uh, Michael Donahue. Have I got that right? You've got it right. Thanks for having me, mate. It's uh, I think it's the the time that we're in at the moment. You know, given COVID the last couple of years, doing stuff online, being under the pump with certain things. I think you know, there's just stuff that pops up all the time, and we just got to make the best of the bad situation, don't we? That's right. That's right. No, I I appreciate you bearing with me, mate. So. Um, I, actually, I, I'm really excited to, to chat to you. So just so that everyone knows how this stuff works, because it's funny, I, um, I saw, I've seen you a lot on LinkedIn originally, and then I... I don't know if, that, don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's definitely a good thing. And then I saw, I, I must have seen like a few posts from you um, with like the Journey Apparel stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk today, today about, but... You know how like it's it's weird how like your subconscious works, right? Like uh, I must have seen it, but then I started seeing people like wearing the t-shirts and stuff like that. And I'm I remember like looking at it one day and thinking, "Fuck, where have I seen that before? I know that's from somewhere." And then I went back on LinkedIn and made the connection. I'm like, "Oh, that's this guy, right?" Anyway, then some time passed, and then my wife was actually down at the gym, um, uh, not too far from our house, and then. I think you were there as well and started talking and then boom, like made the connection like that. And then she came home and told me like, Oh, I met this guy, does this thing. 
I'm like, yeah, I know him. I, I like, I follow him on LinkedIn. That's <laughs> you know, it's just so weird, and you know, that's that's what like you know, pretty much makes my heart burst with pride. You know, you've just said you've seen people wearing the t-shirts and stuff like that. And when I first started Journey, it was about know all about the conversations and things like that and you want people to wear it without knowing you know where it is and who's wearing it and I got through the stage at the start I was like I want to know like who it was so you know you're racking your brain you're going where like who bought the t-shirt what area of Melbourne or wherever it is that's wearing it but you know for you to be able to see it and then make that connection then for me to have that conversation with your wife while she's in there training with one of my real good mates who's a PT you know that's what it's all about so it's you know, like we said before, like it's off air, you know, never underestimate the power of a conversation where it might lead and some of the things that you might be able to do and talk about. That's right, mate. It's it's really cool. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to chat to you because I'm interested in what you've done and I'll, uh, I've liked the little cool approach that you've taken towards it with the apparel and, and for everyone listening, it's not, it's if you're not watching the video, it's not shit apparel either. It looks cool, cool logo, cool designs and stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it's very cool. So, Anyway, let's let's start at the start. Um, give us the three minute snapshot. Like, what's your story? How did you? You know, obviously this uh, podcast is called Real Drug Talk. Like, how does that all fit in for you? Um, yeah, give us the snapshot. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town called Benalla in northeast Victoria, and I think you know my real passion is around mental health. And I think, given you know the, the stigma around mental illness and mental health problems being a guy in a small country town. You know, from the age of 16, I probably realized that there was something wasn't 100% right, but I didn't want to open up and talk about it. And, you know, there were certain things that happened throughout my life. You know, I was playing in a band at school, you know, I was a lead singer, played the drums, school captain um, in year 12, captain of a footy team. So, you know, from the outside, it looked like I had it all going on. But certain triggers like sporting injuries, loss of loved ones through tragic events. I lost my auntie and cousin in the Black Saturday bushfires, uh, which was a huge trigger for me and my family. But that's where I guess the slippery slope happened and I turned to alcohol. So I was drinking five nights a week until two or three in the morning. And that was my main coping strategy for what I was going through, even though I was on medication. And... Now, as we know, you know, you take antidepressant medication, you mix it with alcohol, it's not really going to have a positive effect on the person's body. And, uh, you know, gained a lot of weight, 130 kilos, not looking after myself, eating wow. poor nutrition. So how, all of those how, things. How tall, how tall are you? I'm about 6'1", 6'2". So right. um, it probably didn't look as bad as what it did at the time. But I look back at photos and it's like, you fat bastard. Like, what were you doing? Um, you know, not yeah. looking after yourself. Yeah, and it's you know it's still a still a big unit, um, and for me it just got to yeah it just got to the stage for me where I needed to take control back of my life, and it wasn't until after I had you know a near experience with suicide and you know continuous suicidal thoughts that um, you know that was that real turning point for me, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit deeper shortly, but you know those things there compound on top of each other, you know alcohol, poor food. You know, feel like there's that lack of connection with people and yourself. And even though I've got amazing people around me, you know, it just wasn't really that healthy lifestyle. And then, you know, gradually got back on top of everything, started to lose weight, joined up Weight Watchers with my mum. I was looking after myself a lot better. And, um, you know, I'm now no longer on medication, but I'm really passionate about the work that I get to do because of 
you know, I've had friends and family um, suffer and live with substance abuse and use. Um, you know, they've yeah. um, struggled uh, for, for years. And it just, it's one of those things that for me, it's that passion about trying to educate others and impact others in a positive way because, you know, it doesn't just impact the person that's using alcohol or other, other drugs or other substances. Like it is impacting everyone. And especially in a small town, I look back and think, you know, how much I was drinking. If I had have gone through with my suicide, like the, you know, the suicide attempt, like it would have impacted everyone. And yeah. uh, it's the same with, you know, alcohol and drug use. You know, it's just going to impact everybody, not just the person who's using it. So I gradually got involved with mental health charities, moved down to Melbourne about seven and a bit years ago. I'm now working in a space as a national services manager, educating people around alcohol and drug um you know, information, more that prevention side of things, going in with the, the message of, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but if I can give you that information, you might be able to make a different or more educated decision. And like you mentioned before, you know, I've started the journey apparel stuff just to get more people to feel more comfortable about mental health and mental health problems and opening up and sharing experiences because the more that we can share, whether it be around alcohol, drugs, or mental health, the more we break down that stigma, the more we normalize it, and then the more people feel comfortable to actually go out and get that support from a health professional if that's what they think or if we think that they might need. So that's the, that's the very short of it. Um, and I'm sure that there's things that we'll be able to, you know, dive into a little bit more, but you know, it's so hard to, when you say the three minutes, you know, I've probably spoken for about five, but you know, there's just, there's so many things that you, you kind of talk about or that you could elaborate on more. Um, now that just gives everyone a little bit of a snapshot of who I am and I guess why I'm so passionate about the work and the life I get to live. Yeah. So awesome, man. First of all, awesome. And it's, it's really cool to hear what you're doing and how you're using those negative experiences to, yeah, try and put some good in the world and help other people. But would you say, you know, something that I'm always really curious about, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg stuff. You know, we briefly spoke about it before we jumped on do you reckon it was the substances that led to your mental health or the mental health that led to the substance use? Or definitely, how would you describe it? Definitely mental health that led to substance use. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, from the age of 16, like I said before, you know, I was always, I thought it was the 16-year-old thing. You're meant to be up and down on that mental health roller coaster, and I just thought that was the normal life. And growing up in a small town, I wasn't educated about mental illness, so I didn't really know much about, you know, depression, anxiety. Now, I was never diagnosed with anxiety, but now that I'm a mental health first aid facilitator, looking back in hindsight and all of those kinds of things and looking at the information, I could almost guarantee that I probably had anxiety which wasn't diagnosed at the same time. And we know that you can have, you know, two or more common mental illnesses at once. But it wasn't until after my best mate's birthday parties, his 21st birthday, so five years later, we're five days um, apart, born, so I'm five days older than him. Yep. And it wasn't until just after his uh, 21st birthdays that I thought, you know, I think there's something serious going on here. I need to have a conversation with someone. And I had a, had a chat with my parents and then a local GP went into... You know, have a have a chat to a health professional, and as, as like I said before, as a as a young guy, I didn't want to go to a doctor. I didn't want to be put on medication or you know talk about my thoughts, feelings, or emotions because I thought everyone around me would think that I was weak. And you know that lack of education would they think that 
you know, they could catch depression from me. You know what I mean? Like it just was one of those things that wasn't really spoken about. And, you know, I always used to enjoy going out and partying with my mates on a weekend and getting on the beers and probably going a little bit overboard every weekend. But it wasn't until after the Black Saturday fires that, um, you know, that triggered me into probably the worst space that I was in. And that's when I was probably the most suicidal that I ever had been. And, uh, you know, that's when I was using the most substances. So, you know, I was diagnosed with depression at 21. You know, Black Saturday happens. And, you know, for me, after that trigger, that's when I turned to alcohol really hard. So you'd wake up and you go, oh, I feel like crap. You know, let's just drink again. You know, it's going to make me feel better because I can escape and disconnect from what I'm actually experiencing. And I was only working, at the time I was working at a hospital. So I was a ward clerk. So I was you know, managing all the patients coming in, getting their information. On a Friday, well, you know, most days I was only working two hour days because they didn't have the hours for me. So I'd go in eight till 10 o'clock. You know, I can, I can remember that I had a, a sleep. I passed out because I got home at, I think it was 5.30 in the morning. I passed out in the x-ray room under one of my mate's desks. Uh, when I was meant to be working because I was either hungover or still pissed. Uh, probably the latter. I was probably still pissed because, you know, got home so late. But, you know, I just wasn't living a healthy lifestyle and I was trying to just get through the days by drinking. So you'd knock off at 10, go straight home, raid dad's fridge, you know, smash the beers. And then by the time all my other mates had finished their work by, you know, five, six o'clock, I was ready to go to bed because I was absolutely cactus. Or, you know, they're getting home. It's like, Mick, let's have a few drinks. And then I was just, you know, either ready to party or, you know, just in no state to do what I really wanted to do. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't until that I was waking up on a daily basis thinking about how many drinks I could actually consume to get through, uh, but also ways I could end my life that, you know, I realized that there was something pretty serious going on and I needed some serious help. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> It's so interesting to hear like, oh, sorry, frog jumped down my throat just as I was about to talk. <laughs> um, Always away. That's right. It's it's so interesting to hear. So it sounds like you had, I, I don't want to say it like this to discredit what you're going through, but more mild kind of symptoms that you could live with, with like some of that early anxiety and depression that wasn't comfortable but wasn't completely like destroying your life until you had that big trigger moment, right? And then that kind of just really poured the petrol on the fire and made you dip into this really dark space. Yeah, and I think too for me, like I look back at it and, you know, I had amazing support around me from day one and I think that was one thing that I always forgot. You know, I had amazing connections my family were, you know, absolutely amazing. They were with me from day one, even though I treated them like shit. But, you know, I was in a fortunate position because deep down, even though I felt isolated and on my own, I knew that I had those amazing connections around me. Whereas, you know, there's some people out there that aren't as lucky as that. So, you know, I had my mum make that appointment with the GP with me. And, you know, some people aren't lucky to have, you know, that connection with it with a parent or, you know, to have access to a health professional because I know for me doing mental health first aid training, you hear of all the talk about the wait times and people not being able to get into a doctor and things like that. Now, for me, I had an amazing experience because I was conversation with my parents straight into a GP. 
and then I started to chip away and try and get back on top of everything and what I was going through. But you know that could be really different for other people that are you know either living with a mental illness, substance use problem, whatever it might be. You know that can be really difficult for them because there could be that huge wait time for them to get in to see a professional and then you know take control of their life back. But I was super lucky. Um, that you know, I had that support around me, and I still have the support around me that are helping me get through day to day. Because even though, you know, I do a few podcasts with different people, or I'm out talking about alcohol, drugs, and mental health, I'm never going to be 100%. But I've got better coping strategies. You know, I know certain triggers that are going to impact me and what I'm going through and how I'm going to feel. But if I can stick to my routine as normal as possible, you know, I'm going to stay as close to 100% as possible. And that's the that's the point, really, right? Isn't it? Because uh, and that's that's kind of what I was getting at as well when I asked you. And it's good to hear that you're still on that track because I'm the same, mate. You know, like it's instead of looking at it like it's a problem, like it's a problem, and then you fix it, and then you're all good. It's kind of like a scale, isn't it? Where you where you can be at any any kind of point on that spectrum or on that scale. Um, and there could be different triggers that happen just because fucking life happens, um, and you got to make sure that you have those supports around you to to keep you mentally well. Exactly, and that's one thing that I always talk about. Uh, you know, with the mental health first aid training, the mental health continuum. You know, one thing that I always say to the participants or other people that I you know either work with or talk to regularly, it's like, where are you sitting on that mental health continuum? You know, are you in the green zone? Do you feel good? Do you feel positive? Can you maintain those relationships? Do you feel a little bit stressed or anxious in the in the orange zone or the yellow zone, and you know, not really sure what's happening? Are there certain triggers that are making you feel a little bit uneasy? And then, you know, are you in the red zone? You know, are there those things that are impacting you heavily? Have you been there for two weeks or longer? Do you think you need to have a chat to a health professional? But you know, writing down your own triggers, I think, is something that can be really beneficial because we can look back at certain things and go, all right, eating a burger on a Friday night triggered me into feeling bad about poor body image or you know, feeling overweight or whatever it might be. What are the things that you did to combat that trigger and look after yourself a little bit more? And I think it sounds cliche, but you've just got to learn as much about yourself as possible. Like, what are the things that trigger you? Is it, is it music? Is it a sound? You know, smell? Things like, is it a location? Like, if you can eliminate some of those triggers, we're going to stay as close to that green zone as possible, but we need to be able to have those coping strategies in, in place and you know, have the tools in the toolbox to look after ourselves as best as we can if those triggers still rear their head. Because for me, like I said before, you know, I'm never going to be 100% and I still get triggered by stuff but I've got better coping strategies in place now to actually look after myself and feel the best that I possibly can. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So I really like the way that you explain it. Just quickly for everyone listening, what is mental health first aid training? So it's something that a lot of people don't actually either maybe know of or have heard of before. It's been around for 21 years. Uh, So it's, it's training to educate people around how to have the conversation you know how do we approach someone what are some of the things that we might be able to say what are some of the questions we might be able to ask but the the most important message around mental health first aid training is we're not there to diagnose we're not health professionals you know we do you know you've got two different types of training you do standard training which is you know two full days with me or it could be blended training where you do some online e-learning 
and then you spend four to five hours with me. So we've got health professionals out there that can find it hard enough to diagnose someone with the right mental health you know, condition or mental illness, let alone someone who's probably done you know, 10 hours of training, five hours online, five hours with me. But it's all based around you know, noticing the signs, having a chat to the right person, but also you know, making them feel comfortable to talk about what they're going through and then linking them into a health professional because you know, the sooner we can get someone into a health professional or you know, someone with a little bit more experience than us, you know, the quicker their recovery will be. And I think it's always going to be a recovery journey. I think we're always going to be, you know, we'll have a couple of days where we might fall backwards a little bit, but then we can take a few steps forward. But that's what mental health first aid training is all about, you know, noticing the signs, having that conversation, and then linking someone in with the right person to give them that professional help. It's fantastic, fantastic. Um, so it seems like, which I really like, it, it sort of seems like a... Um, um, and don't get me wrong. Of course, I've heard of mental first health aid, <laughs> mental health first aid training before. Just, but just for the listeners, because I think it's a really um, great idea. And and it's more, it's more like treating it, yeah, like that spectrum, and not that you have to do anything magical, but you just know how to make, as you said, make people feel comfortable and link them into services and understand what triggers are and all that sort of stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, and it's very similar to physical first aid. You know, we provide you know that first aid until that professional gets there. Now, yeah. whether it's with their wishes or against their wishes, you know, it could be a life or death situation. So for us, we want to do everything that we possibly can, main, maintaining it like our own safety as well, because we don't we don't always know how someone might react, whether it be around mental health problems, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. You know, we, we have to maintain our own safety, but at the same time, we want to do everything that we can to support that person with what they're going through. And you know, like I said, the sooner we can get them into that health professional, whether it be mental health first aid or physical first aid, you know, the better off it's going to be because one, they're in safe hands, but also it kind of takes that stress and pressure off us, you know, worrying about how's that person going to be? What are some of the things that we might've done wrong or right? You know, if we get the health professional in there, you know, as quick as possible, that recovery for them is going to be a lot quicker as well. Yeah, mate, I love it. And is the reason why you got involved in that, is that kind of almost like what you wish that you had when you were going through your experiences? I would have loved that. You know, if I had have known whether I'd done mental health first aid training or not, if I had have known about some of that stuff, you know, I might have actually realized what I was living with a little bit sooner and not sacrifice years of my life and the way that I was feeling. But, you know, mental health problems have always been within our family. You know, my grandfather had them, my dad's got them, my younger brother's got them. So, you know, it's passed down generation to generation. But I think if we had have known a little bit more about it sooner, uh, you know, different coping strategies, different signs to look out for, I can guarantee that I probably would have spoken up sooner and got help sooner because, you know, and I can say that in hindsight, but, you know, if looking back from as a 16-year-old, I might have actually said, you know, mum, I'm not sure what's going on. You know, maybe I need to have a chat to someone because I knew more about it. But I just yeah. thought it was the norm. I just thought... You know, something small can happen. You can feel like shit for, you know, a couple of hours, couple of days, whatever. But now looking back at it with the, the lived experiences that I've had, the training that I've had, you know, I could guarantee that I was living with something for a lot longer 
before I was actually diagnosed with it. So if I had that training or if my family or friends had that training, you know, who knows what might have happened, you know, things could have been so much different and a lot better a lot sooner. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. So uh, <clears throat> graphic content warning coming up for people, but I think it's <clears throat> important to talk about because there is lots of people that experience it and get to the low lows. But so so I guess on if we're talking about that spectrum of mental health, obviously suicide ideation or thinking about taking your own life, going through some sort of routine or action to do it or attempting it, right, um, is probably at the pointy extreme end, right, of that spectrum. That's a, that's a, that's a 100% crisis situation right there. Yeah, 100%. So how so from that that moment where you had that horrible um loss with the with the black sad day fires um how long did it take you to just kind of get into that crisis point? Was it quick? Was it yeah. It it took a few months like for me it was a slow build. So uh you know the fires were in February and yep. you know it was probably September, October, around that time that, you know, there was that slow build, you know, gradual feeling like shit, drinking, you know, five days a week, not looking after myself, lack of confidence, feeling ashamed, feeling guilty, and, you know, not looking the best that I possibly can. You know, I'm no, I'm no oil painting now, but, uh, you know, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in better shape than what I was, uh, in 2009, 2010, being uh, 130 kilos, but it was a slow build, and I think, you know, when you're drinking so much, uh, you know, not in a right headspace, still taking my medication, but at the time, you know, medication and alcohol pretty much cancelling each other out, not working and having the, the full proper effect. And eventually got to the stage that, you know, I was gradually, you know, that build up and then I was waking up, yeah, thinking about how much I could drink and how many ways I could take my own life. And on a Thursday night, you know, I'd get together with my mates and we would have a conversation, you know, we'd catch up at the local pub, we'd go out for dinner and pretty much check in with each other, you know, how's the family, how's work going, got any shit on the plate, you know, what can we talk about, what can we help each other out with and I was always pretty open and honest with my mates when it came to my mental health and my mental health problems but they didn't realise how bad I'd got, you know. Yeah. I was, I was putting on that front, you know, I'd walk down the main street and everyone's like, Mick's a legend, you know, how funny is he, how happy is he? Uh, he's always smiling, put on the facade, put on the front, but deep down I was in a lot of pain and I was hurting. And that Thursday night in October that I caught up with my mates, you know, I had dinner with them, they'd had a couple of beers and I gave them a kiss on the cheek and a hug because, you know, that's just a relationship that I've got with my mates. I'm just an emotional dude and love them with all my heart. And I, uh, yeah, within half an hour of that moment, I had a tree lined up at 212 kilometers an hour just because I was sick of the person that I was. And, now, deep down, I realized that I probably didn't want to die because I've got, and I still do have amazing people around me, but yeah, like I just, I felt sick of who I was, you know, like I said, I wasn't happy with who I was, didn't look good, and I just thought that, you know, that would end the pain as quickly as possible, and the, thank God, you know, for that moment, um, you know, my mind switched off for a split second, and it felt, kind of felt like an out-of-body experience for me, it was almost as if I was in the car and I was kind of out of my body kind of watching what was actually happening and what was about to unfold and you know thank god one thing that worked was the brakes you know the brakes stopped the car uh, right before the tree that i picked out but you know the thought of my family my friends 
uh, you know, the small communities I was living in, the, the the footy teammates that I had, you know, all of those people popped into my head and, you know, it wasn't just going to impact my immediate family, it would like impact the whole community that I was living in, you know, 10,000 people, whether they knew me or not, you know, they might've known my parents, my brother, one of the mates that I played footy with, whoever it was, but um, yeah, I pulled the car over and cried uncontrollably for three to four hours on the side of the road and snuck in the front door once my parents had gone to bed because I didn't want them to know what I contemplated doing and the pain that I was actually feeling because they gave me an amazing upbringing. You know, two incredible people and, you know, they're my parents, but they're two of my best friends as well. And I'm incredibly lucky to have them in my life. But I didn't want them to know that. So, you know, I hid that from them for, you know, five or six years until I had the courage to actually tell them of how bad I was and what I contemplated doing. But, you know, that that was a wake-up call that I needed. And I was lucky enough that mum came home at the right moment. We had a conversation about a couple of things and I started taking my medication again. You know, I as hard as it was, I went cold turkey off alcohol. Um, that was really, really difficult at the time. Um, you know, to go from drinking as much as what I was to, you know, pretty much trying to get out of that habit and routine of drinking, you know, five nights a week. Um, and mum came home and said, we can join up Weight Watchers. I thought, let's do it because it's going to make her proud, but it's going to be something that can help me take control of my life back. So I started to lose a little bit of weight, felt a lot more confident and comfortable with who I was. And, you know, I started to, you know, see those changes and feel those changes in in my mindset, how I viewed the world, how I viewed myself. You know, I still have body image issues. I still struggle with that, you know, on a daily basis at times. But, you know, I'm in a lot better headspace now than what I was, you know, that, you know, 10 to 13 years ago um, when I wasn't actually in that right spot and not looking after myself. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really interesting. Like, And a lot of people that I've spoken to about it um, <clears throat> and even in my own experience as well with the – the suicide stuff it, it's so strange like you, you sort of have that third as you said that third person view of yourself and you kind of well for me as well like I sort of like there was part of me that didn't want to do it but then the like emotions are so extreme aren't they um and if it's you- just kind of like a weight's being lifted off your shoulders as well you know you kind of you know, you just feel heavy. Uh, and, you know, this is my experience. You just feel heavy with everything that's going on, you know, being weighed down with your own thoughts. And, you know, there's no louder voice than the one that's inside your head. Um, so, you know, you just feel weighed down. And then all of a sudden when you kind of decide that you're going to do it or contemplate doing it, it's just like, oh, thank God. And I feel so much better now. I don't feel as heavy. I feel a little bit lighter. You know, that pressure is going to be taken off. I'm not going to be in that pain or... You know, I'm not going to feel that shame or guilt because it's going to be, you know, going to be done. It's going to be over. And then all of a sudden you have that thought of the amazing people that you have in your life and you think, well, maybe things can get better. And, you know, there's still times that you th- I think about those types of things. But, you know, just, just the opportunity now, you look at my life and if I had have gone through with it and I, I, I did, you know, complete that you know thing that i was thinking about you know i wouldn't be in a position now to talk to you and you know relate to relate to different experiences and then hopefully share some experiences from my own life that might impact somebody else and it might 
have a positive influence on them and go, you know, I feel shit at the moment, but I can get through this because Mick's been through it or because Jack's been through it. And they might not always be 100%, but they've got better coping strategies in place to look after themselves. And, you know, if that impacts one person and they can feel more comfortable with the person that they are and what they're going through and what they can actually achieve in their life, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah, 100%. No, and i, I got to say, mate, it's really cool to listen to you talk about it because you articulate it really well. Um, and and it's also quite, um, you know, uplifting to listen to, like, your passion come through and stuff. It's, it's really cool. So... Uh, couple of questions i want to throw you a couple of tough ones um and don't get yourself in trouble or anything like that with work that you're doing but you mentioned that when you go around and you you do this mental health first aid training you listen to people's experiences about it's challenging for them to get into services and stuff like that listening to your experience you know how low you got how lucky you were in a sense i'm the same as you lucky that i had some good family members in place like what do you think needs to change with the mental health and drug and alcohol system to to help people? Because, and, and I don't know if this is right, I don't know what you think of think of this, but it seems like we're spending a lot of money on it now in terms of like government services and stuff. Um, and I know that there can always be more and more needs to be spent, but it's like tenfold what it used to be. Um so what's going wrong? What's the disconnect? What needs to change from, from your perspective? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It's a tough question and I don't even know if I have the, the right answer for it. You know, the thing that I always go back to and I guess it ties into the support that people might get or that they might need, I think it starts with, you know, it sounds cliche, but it starts with us, you know, as an individual, you know, we need to continue to have the conversations and, I think education is one of those important things because I reckon, you know, we're, we're doing so much in the mental health space as, you know, as a collective now, you know, like you said, there's a lot of funding, there's a lot more resources and things like that, but people can still find it hard to get in. I think, you know, the education and conversation for me is important because it creates awareness, it normalizes it, it removes the stigma, which I think is probably one of those things that, is still attached a little bit, but the more that we can remove that, the more help and support that people are actually going to step out and get. Now, whether that means that they've got to wait for it or not, I'm not 100% sure, but I think the more education we get, better off that's going to be. But if people can't see, you know, someone face to face, um, you know, depending on where they might be, you know, you look at some of the barriers, which could be, you know, location or cost or things like that, you know, it could be that there's more, you know, free services out there. Now, there's going to be free services everywhere, but depending on if it's a small rural town, you know, do they have access to, you know, free services or free doctors or whoever it might be to get a diagnosis or get the right support and treatment that they might need compared to city life? You know, there's always going to be... That's the thing, isn't it? Like, and it's interesting that you bring that up and I was going to ask ask you about that because you're from yeah a, a rural um community um or well, i don't know if you call it rural or regional or whatever but um yeah like from from the bush uh and uh, like it's it's funny we we complain about this stuff in the city like how it's hard to get into services and stuff like that but it's even worse in the bush isn't it shock it's really hard for people it can be and you know depending on 
Um, you know, I know where I grew up, you've got, you know, there's a few doctor's clinics there. You know, there's a community health service there, but you know, there could be a wait time because there mightn't be as many employees and there might be a lot more people needing that service. So, you know, they might be going outside of Benalla to, you know, other areas, you know, other towns, they might be going down to the city. Who knows, you know, because it might be easier for them to get that support in place. But I think the the important thing to like for us to think about as well is depending on if it's a crisis situation, you know, we can always call, you know, triple zero, whether it's with that person's wishes or not. Now that's, you know, the red zone and the extreme of, you know, the crisis situation. But if someone can't get in face to face, there's so many other options out there of that support. So it mightn't be that it's a face to face appointment with a GP. It could be that, you know, beyond blue, you know, that's like a one stop shop these days. It's got everything, you know, you can, uh, you can do your own risk assessment, get care plans. You can talk to different people via a chat or you know phone call. So you know, it mightn't be that same thing. But the other thing that we talk about with mental health first aid is you know finding out the way that that person wants to support as well. So you know if I'm supporting you, for example, and you know you don't like face to face contact, well, I'm probably not going to recommend to you. It's like, all right, let's make an appointment at a GP. Let's go have a chat to a doctor face to face. You're probably going to shut down, feel really anxious and worried about what the conversation might hold and what might come out of it. So it's like, can we do a telehealth you know appointment? Can we do a chat service? You know, messenger on an, on on the internet within one of the organisations and things like that. Or it could be that someone mightn't feel like they need that full-on support straight away. So it could be, can we print off an info sheet so that they can manage their own symptoms or signs and things like that. But yeah. it's, it's a very... Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I know that there's an app out there at the moment that, you know, if someone's in um, in trouble or, you know, they need help or, you know, they don't, they don't have the energy or, you know, time to fill out a, a text message to say, you know, I need that support. There's an app. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but you can just press a button and it kind of sends it off so that, you know, we know that you can have that conversation with someone. But, you know, there's so many different resources. And for you and I, we might know about all of the different websites and things that we can access. But unless someone has lived with it or, you know, experienced something in the past, whether it be with themselves or somebody else, they might not even know that Beyond Blue exists. Even though it's a yeah. huge company, you know, Lifeline, Are You Okay, Black Dog Institute, all of these different huge organisations in Australia, they might not even know that they exist. So, you know, I think there's going to always be a little bit of a, a challenge between rural or regional and then the city because there's going to be so many different services. But I think too that if you know, in our role as a you know family member, partner, whoever it might be. You know, we want to maintain that, you know, and provide that hope for recovery. You know, whether they've seen one GP and they don't connect with them and they don't like them doesn't mean that they have to give up on that GP. You know, there's so many other GPs out there or whoever it is that they are seeing. We've got to find the one that they feel comfortable and safe with so that they can actually have that conversation and get that right treatment. But, you know, I think if, if there's, you know, more free services that people know of and that they can access you know, and that's the ideal world. You know, there's always going to be times where we might have to wait. But if there's a wait time at one clinic, you know, go to a different one that you've never been to before if you think that you need that support. Um, but yeah. I think in a support role that's close to someone, if we are trying to help them out, you know, just trying to like notice the signs, 
you know, if they decline, if they're acting out of character, you know, let's do our part to support them as best as we possibly can. And sometimes that could be against their wishes. That could be calling triple zero, you know, calling somebody else to, you know, get that help and support that they might actually need. Yeah. Hundred um, percent, and that is that is a very long-winded answer to what you said, and I don't really know if I've answered it right, but I think it's it's really tough to know what we can do to get better services or more services, um, and I think the I think the election in the next month or so might actually, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it could could provide uh, you know a little bit more information, or you know, depending on who gets power, you know, we might see a change in that space as well. No, I think I think what you said there is a hundred percent true, and I agree with you. And it's something that I bang on about all the time. It's part of the reason why we do this podcast, right? Is because for people like you and me that work in the space and you know are kind of in contact with it every day, we understand all the different things out there. But for your everyday punter, um, it's probably not the right phrase, but for your everyday person that finds out that their family member has depression and they're trying to work out how to how to navigate the system um, and get them some help it's really hard for them to know fuck what do I do (laughs) how do I how do I help this situation so if there was more of a one-stop shop in terms of we there was just a central point where people could go and then get navigated to all the different options that they had and they only had to know like one thing that they could go to and then they get put into the appropriate places or there's more education like you spoke about. Yeah, it could have such a such a greater impact impact. It's almost like we, we have a lot or some of the services there. We we just need better like communications around them um, and public awareness, right? Yeah, and for us we don't need to know the answer. You know, we don't always have to send the person to the right spot. But if we think that something isn't right and they agree with us and that they feel comfortable to actually have a chat with someone, you know, let's just send them to someone. You know, let's just get them off the couch, whether it be we make the appointment for them, we go with them, we send them to Beyond Blue. You know, I've mentioned Beyond Blue a few times, but it's just because it is one of the biggest companies probably in Australia, especially around mental health. So you know, that is like a one-stop shop. It's going to have all this different information different resources you know, there's going to be different videos on there from people with a lived experience that you know you might be able to relate to now if we send someone to someone whether it be you know an online platform or a clinic or whatever it might be you know, that is better than nothing because whether it's serious or not or if we think it's serious or the person that we're supporting thinks it's serious you know someone is going to be able to help them out so i think you know someone is better than no one and you know, I think if they want to learn a little bit more about their signs or symptoms or things that they go like going through and living with, it could be a website like Beyond Blue that could be the first point that they go, okay, well, all right, I've got this, this, this on a checklist. Maybe I have got something serious going on. What's the next step? Who can I see? And there might be that information on there where it says, this is what a GP can do. This is what a psychologist, psychiatrist can do, have a chat to a counselor or something like that. So... I think the more information and education and then sending someone to someone is going to be better off than, you know, you know them not seeing someone at all. Yeah, 100%. So um, the other thing that you've talked about a lot, which is really cool to kind of see happen in the mental health 
um, and and substance use space as well is this kind of move towards, um, I guess I, I don't know how you phrase it. Correct me if I if I put it wrong, but where you're where you where you're just thinking of your mental health overall and not mental health as like a condition, if that makes sense. Like and just ta- making sure you have good mental health, like you have good physical health um, and that sort of prevention, I suppose, aspects, right? Like how important do you think it is that we kind of change some of the key ideas in society that, you know, may lead people to experiencing mental health, like pressures that they put on themselves, you know, you've talked a lot about stuff around like body image, you know, all these types of things like, how important is it do you think that we try and have different conversations about the fabric of society that's going to help to improve the relationship that people have with themselves? Oh, it's super important. And I think the thing when it comes to mental health is, you know, we've all got mental health. You know, it's either good, bad, poor, indifferent, you know, shithouse, whatever it might be. So it's we've all got mental health, we've all got physical health, We've all got, you know, we've all got a diet. So, you know, there's things that we might be able to do to try and change things in it to look after ourselves a little bit more. But I think it almost goes back to the things that we were talking about before about, you know, learning a little bit more about our own triggers and things like that when it comes to our mental health. Um, and what are the things that we might be able to do to look after ourselves when it comes to, you know, those things? Because, if we've got poor mental health, that's when it's probably going to lead us to making poorer decisions. So it might be that we we drink a little bit more or we might grab Uber Eats a little bit more because we can't be bothered cooking. We're not going to exercise as much. But I think if we're if we are looking after ourselves, you know, everything in moderation and you can still go out and do all those things, but if we're looking after ourselves, I think our mental health is going to be in a much better space. And yep. that was one thing for me that I realized that you know, there's like three pillars for me that you know pretty much keep me as as good as I possibly can. One being sleep. You know, I think we're meant to get eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, I'm sure that everyone gets that. Uh, <laughs> probably probably not. But you know, for me, I I know that I don't get eight hours of sleep a night majority of the time. But I know my sleep routine that works for me and makes me feel good. Because if you get a good night's sleep. You know, you're going to wake up the next day and probably feel a lot better, and then you're going to make better decisions. But if you have a late night, you go out till all hours on the beers, and then you get up the next day, you're going to feel crap. You're probably going to grab takeaway for for brunch, for lunch, and for dinner because you can't be bothered moving from the couch. And then you know you're probably not going to exercise, which is another thing. So for me, sleep, maintaining it, trying to maintain a healthy like diet and lifestyle with exercise keeps me as close to you know, 100% for my mental health. But if we can learn as much about ourselves as possible, I think that's when that kind of holistic approach comes in, you know, r- around the decisions that we actually make and how we're actually feeling from the decisions. Yeah. So I find it interesting as well. So in, in your story, um, how much like professional engagement did you undertake to kind of turn the ship around from that real low point that you're in or was a lot of it through um yeah like you mentioned that you had really good chat with your mom and you got your diet on track and you kind of started 
connecting with your mates and sharing how you're going, stuff like that. Like, like how much was it professionals and how much was it just off your own back and seeking information and changing your life around? Yeah, so the first thing for me was I, I went back to the doctor and I started to have more regular medication checkups because, you know, just because you've been on one medication for one year or 10 years doesn't mean that it might be the right one for you. So I think having that regular checkup and conversation with the GP for me, making sure that it was the right medication was important. But like you mentioned, you know, lifestyle choices played a huge role in the recovery for me and how I was actually feeling. So it didn't have to be, uh, you know, I always bang on about professional support, which I think is really important that some people need it. Um, but, you know, for me, GP and then medication, but then also conversations with my loved ones. So my mum and dad have been absolutely incredible. My brother and I have got an amazing relationship and, you know, we're very, very similar, but completely different in so many ways as well. And then, you know, exercise, joining up boot camps, losing weight, drinking more water, sleeping more, eating healthier, all of those things have contributed to me, you know, being as, as best as I possibly can. So I think with a contribution of, you know, uh, you know, professional support and then more so the lifestyle choices and changes, those two key things there have, you know, got me to where I am today. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because that's like sort of, the vibe that I'm getting from talking to you and your story and, and just, you know, the experiences that you've had and then what you've seen through like the professional work that you've done as well is that, don't get me wrong, I'm not telling people not to see professionals, <laughs> but sometimes you kind of, you can underestimate. That's right, that's right. Um, but sometimes you can underestimate the the power of like community and connection and and yeah changing your lifestyle around and and your ability to kind of facilitate healing in your own life you know um i always have this joke with people like pe people in um some, some people in the aod space get annoyed at me because you know like i i kind of say mo most people's hairdressers are better um counselors than their actual counselors you know what i mean because it's that or their or their personal trainers you know what i mean because it's that it's that thing that humans have like when you break down the trust barrier and you and you do trust someone um, and it and it is in the organic natural kind of setting and feeling and all that sort of stuff it's amazing the power of like healing that that can have for someone you know <laughs> I 100% ag yeah. I 100% agree with you you know the one thing that I've always said and I'm glad that you mentioned it I think that all hairdressers, barbers and personal trainers should have some form of mental health training because when someone goes into them, you know, the the added bonus is actually the exercise and then the haircut or the colour. You know, they're, you know, how's your week been, Jack? Oh, you know, it's been really shit. Oh, why? What's been happening? This, this, this and this. You know, I'm packing to move. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's like, yeah. all right. Do you want to do some bicep curls now or do you want to do some squats? Like, what do you want to do? Like, do we want to exercise today or do you want to have a conversation? Now, if if a personal trainer or a hairdresser or a barber is copying that 20 times a day with the amount of appointments or sessions they're doing, that must be really draining yep. if they don't have the time to look after themselves. So I agree. I think that they probably need some form of training or education and information so that they can support their clients a little bit better if they are copying those conversations, you know, 10 times out of 20 in a day. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's so interesting. Um, uh, and and just to kind of hear your story reaffirms it. And and I love this mental health first aid training, sort of how it happens, and and just the concept of it as well, because I think it gives a bit of power back to you know communities and individuals and families and stuff like that to to have a little bit more control and and confidence in in the way that they help. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about is so that's been your story. But where are you going with all this? Because like the journey apparel stuff's pretty cool. Is that where like your passion really li- lies to build some sort of like social enterprise? How does that all work with the with the journey apparel? Yeah, so for me, I'm really lucky that I've got the full time job um, where I you know focus majority of my time with the the alcohol, drug, and well being space and the the side of the training. But journey apparel for me was just you know a bit of a side hustle. And, you know, a passion that I've always had, you know, I've always liked buying nice clothes. I wanted to try and make something that looked really cool, but had a really positive and powerful meaning and message behind it. And, you know, the the thing that I love about Journey is I've, I've started it on my own, but it's been started up with blokes that I grew up with. So the, the, like one of the, one of my mates that I was talking about before, five days older than him, he designed all the logos, you know, so to be able to do something with Dill, my best mate, um, and he's running his own little side hustle as well, to be able to do something together is awesome. And then, you know, one of my other best mates from school, he does all the screen printing still in Benalla. So he's got like a massive organization there. So for me, it's kind of like a, a home home company that, you know, is trying to go worldwide. And I've got people that, you know, wearing this UK, US, Malaysia, New Zealand, uh, so it's getting out there with like all my friends and other people that they've kind of connected with and having those conversations with. But for me, it's just about trying to pre- prevent what I went through for other people. So if they yeah. see the logo, like for me, I want Journey Apparel to be the biggest company ever. Now, you know, there's a yeah. fair way to go and I don't want it to be so I can make a heap of money out of it. I just want it so people can see the logo, they realize that it's a comfortable and safe space and they go, all right, well, this person knows what's journey, what journey is about. Let's have a conversation with them, you know, because if someone is wearing it, they might be doing it to support me because they know me. But majority of the time, people have a story. So yeah. they want to either share or they they feel proud wearing it or it makes them feel more comfortable. And the thing that you notice with everyone, you could walk down the main street of where we live and everyone has a story whether it's you know something good, something really bad that's triggered them into poor mental health or whatever it is. And I kind of want to be the person that hides behind Journey Apparel and everyone else is wearing the T-shirts and pushing the message so that they can hear different stories and experiences for everyone else. But I want to you know get into the get into the space and eventually you know earn enough money from it so I can say, all right, Jack, let's sit down. We're going to have a chat. We're going to do a video or whatever it might be. Who's your charity of choice this week or this this month? Let's put some money into that charity from the the t-shirt t-shirts that are sold and the money that's raised. So, I did a chat with uh, Ray Chamberlain and the Chamberlain Foundation about a month ago now. Um, so they've got their own suicide prevention foundation, and I designed you know a limited edition t-shirt for that charity so that the the t-shirt sold the money raised goes back into the charity and to the programs that they're running for first responders and 
they're, they're the things that I want to do. You know, I want to be able to run this on the side, have a bit of fun doing it, make some cool designs with a powerful message behind it, get people talking and normalizing the, the shit things that people go through so that if someone does need that help and support, they know that they can do it without feeling guilt or shame. And, you know, just building on it because I think the more conversations that we can have, you know, the safer place we are going to be and you know, the more normal mental health problems are going to be for everybody out there that might be experiencing them. Yeah, mate, it's really cool. It's really cool. I, I like the um, – because I know that there's different things out there that are brands that, you know, are a link to social causes and other other causes, you know, stuff like that. But I really like how you explained it because – to be honest, when I have seen people wearing it, that's what I think. Like I think, oh, that person, you know, is obviously connected to mental health in some way. And it does, like it, it changes your your sort of um, not perception of them but just like the comfortability level that you might have with them and, and you feel like you can just say, hey, how you going or whatever because without saying anything, you know that you guys are like connected in some way with some sort of similar experiences or story or whatever it might be that leads them to have that interest in it too. So I like that it's that visual and uh, emotional representation of, of the brand that can kind of create that space for people. It's really cool. Yeah, and for me, like I actually bumped into Ray's wife in the supermarket in Mentone and I... Uh, and for, and for everybody listening, Ray... Ray, uh, Ray Chamberlain is Razor Ray Chamberlain, I, I believe, from the AFL umpire the, that has a bit of a personality and stuff. Is a, kind of a interesting, cool fella. So yeah, he's uh, he's an amazing guy, and I'd actually never met his wife before. So I was walking through the the coals, and I was like, oh, there's a there's a lady there wearing a journey jumper, and it's <laughs> like, I was like, how cool is this? So you know, I went up to her. I was like, "Oh, really cool, really cool jumper. I love it." And she goes, "Oh yeah, it's a mental health jumper." I was like, "Yeah, I know because I started it." And you know, had had a bit of a joke with her. She's like, "Oh, are you Michael?" And then we you know had a bit of a conversation. And to me, that's what it's all about. Like, I want to you know build those connections with people. You know, every order that I get, you know, I hand write a hand write a message and a note to the person who's bought it, whether I know them or not. Um, and you know, the the different messages you know relate to the person that i'm sending it to you know if i've never met the person before it's probably a little bit more polite than what i'm sending to one of my mates that's uh, you know buying a t-shirt or supporting it yeah. but you know if i can if i can start making money out of it you know the other idea that i really want to do you know, going back into mental health first aid is for me you know i could let's say for a number value an idea you know a thousand bucks i could give it to beyond blue or you know lifeline but I don't 100% know where that's going. But what I want to do is, you know, can I put, you know, five people through mental health first aid in a, in a course, whether it be online or face-to-face. So, you know, some someone might be able to afford to do the course, but it's like Journey Apparel is going to pay for your course so that we can put you through it. It's going to give you the skills to equip you to have the conversations with your loved ones and the community that you work in. So it might be a president of a footy club or something like that. So we can say that, you know, Journey Apparel has put through this amount of people with mental health, like through mental health first aid. We've equipped 100 people, you know, Australia-wide with skills to have those conversations, notice the signs and then link them into the health professionals out there. So, you know, if I can... 
um, you know, help someone in any way, you know, that's what it's all about. But it's about conversation and normalizing, you know, the shit times and the good times for the things that we go through. Yeah. Mate, it's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's uh, I think you're doing really cool stuff and your passion shines through, that's for sure, when you, when you talk about all of these things. So uh, I can't wait for it to uh, go many places far and wide. And uh, everybody listening to this show, you know, like everybody's got to buy clothes. So you might as well buy clothes that mean something. So spend, you know, Spend your afterpay and your zip pay on Journey Apparel. No, I'm just joking. Exactly. <laughs> Go into debt. <laughs> exactly. Buy buy my company if you'd like to. <laughs> it's worth it's worth a shitload. Um, but you know, even even if you know, and this is a thing I always say about Journey as well. It's it's not about selling shirts, but it is. You know, if people you know yeah. drop a comment on a post that we put up or, you know, send me a message on social media or whatever it is, you know, I'll do my best to respond to everyone. And, you know, I'm not getting the most amount of messages. So, you know, 10 times out of 10, you're going to get a reply from me. Um, Because to me, it's about the conversation. If I, if I sell a shirt or if someone's wearing a t-shirt or a jumper or whatever it is, that's an added bonus. Um, You know, if I can, if I can break down the stigma, if I can, normalize a conversation within the community that you're living in you know that's what it's all about so you can buy a t-shirt if you'd like to but if you just want to drop a comment or send us a message you know that's that's you know probably the most important part to me as well awesome mate awesome hey thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it and uh let's let's catch up again soon and we'll hear how it's all going and uh yeah we'll hopefully hopefully journeys like running tv ads or some some crazy like that fingers crossed thanks heaps for having me mate no worries cheers mate okay boom that was another episode of real drug talk everybody hope you enjoyed it uh looking forward to putting out some more shows again check out journey apparel down in the show notes um and if you or a loved one is looking for any help you can check out connection based living in the show notes as well where we help people get recovery without going to rehab all right guys thanks so much for listening good to be back on the airwaves and look forward to vibing in your ears soon